pull up a seat and get ready to find out just how valuable God thinks you are. My name is Johnny and I'm the host of this podcast. My goal here is to be honest and transparent because I want you to know that there's somebody out there that gets it. Through each episode, I hope that you're reminded that you are wildly sought after by a really good God. I just say that I am so glad that you guys are here. It shows that you want to know Christ more and the Bible more, and that's just so awesome to me. I really can't think of anything better than being intimate with the creator of the universe, and I'm obsessed with doing this podcast, honestly, because I just keep telling more and more people about him, and that's honestly my biggest joy, and it's crazy to think about how this one little blog that I started my junior year of college has now reached hundreds of thousands of young girls, and I'm just amazed at what God can do when you're bold and you say yes to him. So if something is on your heart, anything, whether that's an Etsy shop or taking a new job or stepping out of your comfort zone with anything, I just want to encourage you, if it's been placed on your heart, it's there for a reason pray about it and see what God is leading you to do. He can use you in so many ways. So I just want to encourage you with that really quickly. And before we dive in, I wanted to give you guys also a life update. This year has been hard for a lot of people. 2020 has been really tough for a number of reasons. And Ronnie and I have actually been blessed beyond our wildest dreams during this season, which we recognize is rare and a huge blessing. Um, We've both gotten raises, promotions, and opportunities presented to both of us. And we just feel really led to give back. And so we've really been focused on being vessels this year with our time and other resources given to us. So we just want to serve anybody in need in any way. So if you or anybody that you know is struggling financially, or if they just simply need prayer, please go to johnnynicole.com slash post slash 2020 blessing. Our hearts are just breaking with everybody struggling and we're not rich by any means, but if we can come alongside you and pray with you, FaceTime you, send you a few bucks to financially help you out, we definitely want to do that. So this is opened indefinitely. So just go to that page if you need it at all. And I'll say it again. It's johnnynicole.com slash post slash 2020 blessing. So during this quarantine period, because of the virus, I thought I was going to get really close to Jesus. But guys, it was the opposite. Without a schedule, it was harder to get into my word. And without a routine, I could not seem to fit God in, which when I even say that out loud, it's crazy because I had more downtime and more free time. But it really just showed me how important discipline was and how important just growing up spiritually was. We have to spend time with Jesus whether we want to or not. So this season, I guess, has really helped me submit to what God wants by, you know, sacrificing and getting up at 6.30 a.m. when I don't have to anymore and spending more time with him than I usually even would. And Ronnie and I have been doing that together for a few weeks now, and it's been really awesome because when I don't spend time with God consistently, sin creeps in so much easier, and it throws me off big time. And I don't know about you, but Jesus needs to keep me on a short leash. So during my time of getting up early and being in the word, I decided to study the woman at the well. And guys, it's been convicting me, encouraging me, strengthening my faith all at once. It's been really cool. 
All right, so the woman at the well, it's honestly one of my favorite Bible stories that there is, and there are so many famous stories found in the Bible, and you may have read them before bed when you were a kid or sang songs about them in Sunday school or heard about them in sermons. Whenever you heard them, though, I think we can all agree that stories in the Bible are amazing. They teach us so much about God and his character and the way he interacts with his people overall. And one of the things that I love the most is that God reveals himself to us through those stories. And something I learned recently was that storytelling is the way that history used to be recorded overall. And long before people began writing things down, the past would be recorded through those stories that the ancestors would pass down to the next generation. And our souls connect with those stories and our minds would process them and retain them better than simply just looking at facts on a sheet of paper. I know I am personally a story learner. If someone just tells me to memorize something, I'm so bad at it. But if somebody tells me a lesson in a story, I usually remember it forever. Stories bring the characters to life and we weave themes and meanings throughout the entire theme. And this is just one of the reasons that God so often uses stories to teach us things. I mean, I like I just read the word and I think of Jesus and he would teach people through parables and many stories to help them grasp the true concept um, that he was presenting to them. Parables like the prodigal son comes to mind or the lost coin or the lost sheep. They were used to help the people understand God's love for his children, even when they went astray. So just like Jesus used stories to preach to the crowds, scripture uses those stories to help us learn more about the character of God and um, how our relationship with him is meant to unfold. So there's a lot of these stories in the Bible, actually, um, but we don't always study them the way that we should. It's really easy, I know for me personally, to just pass over them because either we've heard them before or we don't really get the points of them. And we can't, just as the church, can't we can't afford to neglect to look deeper and try to really understand what God is teaching us. So because of this and because of this conviction, I really want to take some time and study one of those most uh, famous stories in the Bible. Um, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's one of my personal favorites, at least lately, and it's the woman at the well. So I love this story so much because it teaches us about God and his love for us. And his grace is just so apparent as we read about his interaction with this woman. So let's get started and dive into the story. We're going to be in John chapter four. If you have your Bibles, it's John chapter four. So this scene begins with Jesus and his disciples traveling through, I'm going to say that again, through Samaria on their way to Galilee. So I hope you noticed how I emphasize the word through. This in it of itself is noteworthy because most of the Jews in this time would have done everything they could to avoid interacting with any of the Samaritans. Many people back then would have actually added days to their trip by going around Samaria instead of risking even being seen walking through it. So the fact that it says and it states that Jesus chose to walk through Samaria on his journey is already incredible and intriguing. He did not go around Samaria like everybody else did. He went through it. He didn't care what people thought about him. He didn't care what society's standards were. He broke all of those unspoken rules. So picture this, okay? Most of the people in Samaria would go and get their water from the well during the cool of the day. And that's typically super early in the morning or really late at night. 
But it says in the Bible that this woman at the well went to go get her water at noon. That, guys, is the heat of the day. And back then, nobody would have been there at that time. So that was intentional that she went there at noon. She went there at that time so nobody else would see her. And you guys got to remember that significant detail. That's really important as you read the story. So on Jesus's journey, he decides to take a rest at the well of Sikar. I think I'm saying that right. Um, it's called Jacob's Well. And his disciples run into town and they go and get food. And while they're gone, the Samaritan woman comes to the well where Jesus was resting to draw water. And again, we can infer that something isn't right since she's going at 12 p.m., the heat of the day. That's really weird in that culture. And it's later revealed that she wasn't really highly regarded and she was actually really ashamed because of her sinful lifestyle. And that's why she was going to get water when nobody else was around. She wanted to avoid the gossip and the glaring stares of the other women. Jesus, however, like always, is unafraid of her apparent shame and initiates a conversation by asking her for a drink of water and her response is funny to me she says you are a jew and i am a samaritan woman how could you ask me for a drink she's just pretty shocked that he would even talk to her seeing as she's a samaritan woman and he's a jew and they never talked back then but Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed this when you read the Bible, he had a knack for breaking these social norms and catching people off guard. And his interaction with this woman at the well is just no different. So Jesus answers her question and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And of course, this statement sounds a bit odd to her. Heck, it honestly sounds really weird to me when I say it and probably to you too. So she points that out by asking him, um, you have nothing to draw this supposed water with. And that's true. I mean, Jesus isn't there with a, with a water jug. He can't get any physical water. So what in the world is he talking about? And I can imagine Jesus patiently listening to her confusion and just smiling genuinely and tenderly as he knows he's about to share life-giving truth with her, earth-shattering news with her. And so Jesus is unhindered and unbothered by her doubts and answers her by saying this, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So you can tell by this point, this woman is clearly intrigued by him and his claim to have water that never runs out and never makes you thirsty. I mean, if he could truly give her a water like that, she'd no longer have to come to the well at the heat of the day to draw water. And she was likely very tired of this task and the fact that her shame made her too embarrassed to draw water with the rest of the women in town i mean this would be a game changer for her so this water that jesus offered her was not only convenient but it must have sounded like a wonderful way to i guess reduce her embarrassment water that never lets you thirst again can you imagine so Jesus, knowing exactly who she was, began asking her questions and really gets her to open up. And I 
for for effect. I love how we see Jesus using small talk to start this conversation, but he doesn't stay there. He goes deep with her and life's just too short to be shallow. So this is what Jesus says. He, he goes, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, not only does everyone in the town know, but now this new guy knows. And my heart, when I read that the a few weeks ago, my heart just sank to my stomach because she's been found out. And I'm sure at this point, She's beginning beginning to fear the inevitable judgment that's going to come next because everybody else has given her judgment. So in order to evade her shame, you see that she changes the subject completely on him. I mean, totally. Just like any other woman does in order to avoid facing painful truths. So she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is unaffected by her plan to deviate from the topic. And he responds to her lovingly just saying, woman, which was a term of endearment back then, believe me, a time is coming where when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So here it is, guys. Here is the plot twist that changes everything. It comes in verse 26. Jesus says to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Can we just take a minute to pause here? Because Jesus just confirmed his deity. He just confirmed that he is the Messiah. He is God. That he came down from heaven, traded eternity for time. He was in the beginning and he created everything with the Father. This is nuts. And the Samaritan woman must have dropped her jaw in shock and amazement. The Messiah was talking to her of all people. And I should also mention that this is the first time Jesus outright says that he is the Messiah in the book of John. And he reveals it to this woman, the woman who society completely casts out and can't stand. And so what's crazy is that it says in this story that upon hearing this, that Jesus was the Messiah, she drops her water jug. So basically, she walked all that way in the heat of the day to get water, and she methodically thought out how she could go quietly without being noticed, and she's probably really, really thirsty. Yet when she finds out who it is that's talking to her and who Jesus truly was, it says that she dropped her water jug onto the ground and ran away to tell everybody who she just met, which was Jesus. So 
Guys, when you meet Jesus face to face, those temporary things that we seek after, they just don't matter anymore. And so when we're truly transformed by this life-giving truth that Jesus is God and that he came to save us, we turn our backs on sin. We just, we don't care about it. And obviously water in this case, it's not a sin, but it represents a temporary satisfaction that we can only get from this world. So guys, she hears this insane news, which is that she just met the man that her family from generations and generations were awaiting. And she runs into town sharing what she had just heard with anybody that would listen. And I find this so awesome because again, she was trying to hide from everybody just five minutes ago. And now she's running to tell everybody this news. She's suddenly unashamed. She suddenly has worth again. She suddenly has this confidence and so that day, it, it must have been just so cool for her. God used her testimony to turn the hearts of people in her town towards him. He used a broken, heart-torn, and sinful Samaritan woman to bring about revival in her city. That's just, that's just incredible to me. So God saw this Samaritan woman... And he gave her value and respect and used her to speak truth to the very people who had thrown her away. And I just think a lot about myself in this situation. So I came personally from a long line of generational sin and disobedience to God. And I was actually the first one saved in my family. And honestly, that just makes no sense to me. I almost have sometimes like survivor's guilt. Like, why would he bless me? Why would he save me and not others? But I learned not to say, why me anymore? I learned to instead ask, what am I going to do with that now? How am I going to, you know, react to that truth? He did save me. I'm not going to just sit here and say, why me? Now I'm going to just ask, what am I going to do with that blessing? So the Samaritan woman didn't sit there feeling sorry for herself either or feeling undeserving. She took it as an outrageous gift and began using it just for his glory. And that's what we're called to do too. So you see, when when Jesus offered her this living water, right, he was really offering her salvation. This woman that had a horrible reputation, a shattered heart, and the woman who's living in constant shame is seen by Jesus and he offers himself to her fully, no strings attached. Because he doesn't say, you know, go and leave your boyfriend first and then I'll offer you living water. He doesn't say, oh, follow all these rules and then I'll reveal who I am to you. Jesus meets her where she's at and offers her salvation. And I think that that is something worth noting for two reasons. So number one, so often people that are drawn to God feel like they have to stop having sex or they have to give up a ton of things in order to fully surrender to him. And that's not the truth. We can come as we are. And when we do, we're going to drop our water jug. We will want to forget about the sin that we're dealing with because we're going to fall in love with the creator. So this is not a religion, guys. This is a beautiful relationship where we don't have to focus on what we have to give up. We just have to focus on his words and our desires will naturally change. And number two, salvation really is for anybody. So I don't know if you have these moments, but I definitely do. I see somebody, right? 
and I want to tell them the gospel, but they just seem so far gone. And I'm like, yeah, they're probably not going to get saved anyway. So I'm just going to go and not tell them the good news. And it's really shameful to say, but that's something that's happened more than once in my life. So it's this story that actually comes to mind every time I say stuff like that to myself. And I'm like, if that woman who was so far gone could get saved, why the heck would I not tell this person on the side of a road about the gospel? So what I find really interesting, like the most interesting, is the fact that this woman didn't understand at first. She asked questions like, how can a Jew ask a Samaritan woman for a drink? Or where will you get that living water? Or are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus answered all of her questions lovingly and gently. He was not, you know, unresponsive to her inquiries, but he refused to be sidetracked by them. Instead, he focused on helping her see her thirst and the truth of who he was. And I see us, I see me often in this exact situation when our fears and doubts or guilt make us question his love and his goodness, God is really patient with us. And there are so many times, honestly, that God tells me something in his word that I don't really understand. And I respond with all these questions and all these statements that make probably no sense to him. And I act out of confusion and anxiety. Yet, He continually, lovingly draws my heart out towards him. He stayed. He stayed with the woman at the well. He spent time explaining it all to her. And I I can just picture him looking at her like, I know every single hair on your head. You are so precious to me. I can sit with your confusion. I can sit with your fear. It's not too much for me. You're not too much for me. And he does that with us too. You know, cross-referencing real quick, John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And this is exactly what we see in this story of the woman at the well. He loved her first. He engaged in conversation with her and slowly led her to the truth of salvation. And you have to keep in mind, and so do I, that Jesus went to this well even though it wasn't a place that Jews would usually go at all. He met the Samaritan woman where she was. He did not ask her to come to him or make her earn salvation in any way. He went to her city, her well, and revealed himself to her there. And he does that for us too. He meets us right in our sin, right in our brokenness, and calls us to himself and gives us salvation because he wants us. Just like he loved that Samaritan woman, he loves you and I. Not only does he love us, but he loves us first. He initiates the relationship even when we have nothing to offer him. It's undeserving, radical grace. And I heard one time an explanation of the difference between grace and mercy. And I always think about this. Picture that you're driving a car and you are going 90 miles an hour down the highway. So you're clearly speeding. And let's say a cop pulls you over and says, you know you were speeding, right? I should give you a ticket. And you say, I'm sorry, officer. And he says, okay, I'll let you go this time. Guys, that is mercy pardoning us for the wrong that we've done is mercy. But do you know what grace is? So if you're speeding and the officer pulls you over and says, you were clearly speeding, but I'll let you go this time. 
Oh, in one moment, here you go, and hands you $100. That's grace. It's not just a pardon for our sin, but it's a reward for doing nothing. It's something we actually don't deserve in the slightest bit. So not only does Jesus show mercy to the woman at the well, but he shows her grace. He didn't only not condemn her for her sin, but he also gave her salvation, the joy of knowing him, the gift of acceptance again. So this story really just teaches us that God loves us in spite of our bankrupt lives. God values us enough to passionately seek us out and to invite us into an intimate relationship with him. So after Jesus's conversation with her, Only a person like the Samaritan woman, a disgrace from her own people, could understand what this really means to be wanted, to be cared for when no one, not even herself, could see anything of value in her. The love of God, I mean, that's that's mind-blowing. So I don't know who's listening to this right now, but have you ever thought that you were beyond saving, that you were too dirty, too broken, too messed up for Jesus to save you or even want you? This story in John 4, the woman at the well, shows in a very vivid way that you're never too far from Jesus and that he's always going to pursue you. All you have to do is believe and drop that water jug, aka your sin, in your hand and grab a hold of Christ. So I encourage you, if you haven't read your Bible in a while or ever, Or if you do, but you just haven't read this story in a while, turn to John 4, study this story for yourself and ask yourself this big question. What does this mean for my life? How should I change the way that I live after reading this exact passage? And I would say that there's one main aspect to our faith that should really shift when we understand this crazy redemption story. So one, I really think that we get to start living as a person freed from shame after reading this story. All too often, we reject God's grace and we continue to live with the guilt of our poor, poor, poor choices. But this isn't what God wants for our lives, nor does he ask us to live with this guilt. And he brought salvation so that we might be free, not partly free or a tiny bit free or a little free, but completely free. And when we really embrace this idea, our lives change. We don't spend any more time trying to prove our worth or our value, but instead we live boldly believing our worth and values in Jesus. And I don't know, if you guys watch reality TV, but sometimes I do, right? And they have a Where Are They Now series with a lot of the reality TV shows. And I wish we had one from the woman at the well, like five years later, what does her life look like after that crazy encounter with Jesus? And I really think that we would find that she has no boyfriends, that she lives helping other young women in the same exact situation that she was in and introducing them to the amazing story of this Messiah Friend, when God saves us, everything changes. We forget about our sin. He forgets about our sin. We just want him. So start living as a person free from the shackles of your past. The prison cell that you were once in has been open. Do not go back there. Christ has freed you. If we truly understand this freedom and the impact that it has on our lives, we are really able to give that same forgiveness to others, or at least we should be. 
If we really want to be known as Jesus followers, we have to learn what it means to receive grace for ourselves and then to be full of grace for others. And this story about the woman at the well does just that. It shows us how miraculous um, God's mercy is really. And if I'm being honest, even after I was saved, I'd really struggle with something called the penalty box. So if I did ever fall back into sin, I would punish myself because I felt so dirty and so unworthy. And that's a struggle worth having. We're not meant to do that. It, it was worth going to war with that. It's gotten so much better for me and reading stories like this just propel me towards the cross whenever I mess up. But the penalty box was real for me and I never belonged there. Live forgiven. We cannot let shame be our master. Allow God to be your healer and redeemer. He's more than capable and always willing to give us the grace and love that we need. We don't have to have a boy validate us. We don't need friends to validate us. We don't even need a family to validate us. If we have God's approval, it really is enough. And you might be asking, that's a really nice idea, Johnny. I I like that idea, but how do I get myself to truly believe this? Not just in my head, but in my heart as well. So I want to share with you guys a couple of ways that you can grow in your freedom from shame, acceptance of grace, and spirit of forgiveness for others. So the first thing I would suggest is to read the crucifixion story in all four Gospels. Because when you read about the crucifixion of Christ, it really does awaken you to the reality of what God sacrificed in order for you to live without shame and without um, guilt and with eternal salvation. When you think that you're too far gone, it's like you're saying to Jesus, the cross wasn't enough for your sin. It might be good enough for everybody else's, but your sin is just so bad that his cross and his death wasn't enough. When God says you really are free from your shame and your guilt, he means it, guys. So much so that he sent his one and only son to die a gruesome death on that cross in order to save you. So remind yourself of that. Read those gospels and don't keep punishing yourself for a payment that has already been made. Live in freedom for Christ. So my second tip here is to write out affirmations and speak them out loud. So if you have a hard time believing God's grace for you, like I do a lot of the time, write out an affirmation founded in scripture and just speak it over yourself. Like I have been doing um, for a few weeks now, memorizing all of Psalm 139. And it's a long one, but I've been doing it. And I speak it over myself all throughout the day. We as God's children, we're the apple of his eye and he thinks about us all the time. That's what Psalm 139 says and he knows us better than anybody could ever know us. He can love us more in one single moment than anybody could love us in a full lifetime. You could also say things like, I'm forgiven from all my shame and I'm a new creation in Christ and God loves me despite my brokenness and he's redeemed me from my sin. I am loved, valued, a forgiven child of the king. All these things, because they're biblical, speak them over yourself. Science even tells us that when we speak things like this out loud, it solidifies them more in our brains. And that's why it's so important to speak those affirmations aloud. Speak God's word to yourself. Get alone with that book and hold on to every single word that it says. The third thing I would say is to pray. So just pray that God gives you a spirit of forgiveness toward yourself and others and a willingness to just love God first. 
God answers your prayers when you pray to be more like him. So ask for that spirit of forgiveness and he will give it to you and help you, you know, cultivate that over time because his will is for us to be sanctified and to become more and more like him. So pray. And I just know he's going to honor that prayer. You know, we as a church, we need to really let this story affect the way that we also see evangelism. We need to let it empower us to share the gospel. When the woman at the well found out that she was talking to the long-awaited Messiah, she ran into town full of the very people that she spent so much effort avoiding and told them all about what God had done. When we come face-to-face with Jesus, we need to do the same. She didn't allow fear or shame to keep her from proclaiming God's goodness. And because of this, God used her, the underdog, to change the hearts of the people in that town. Like, I just, it it blows my mind because so often we allow our own fears and doubts to keep us from sharing the gospel with others. And maybe it's because you're ashamed of your past and you're worried that people who knew you back then, they're going to judge you for what you believe. Or maybe you don't think that God can use you because you aren't skilled or noteworthy. And if these are some of the things holding you back from living with that zeal and boldness for the gospel, just know that God does not count those as disqualifiers. Rather, he actually looks for that. He uses the broken and skillless people to do his greatest works. He sees the outcasts as the perfect vessel for his glory. You're perfect in God's eyes and you can be used for so much good. I mean, just think about Moses. He was dumbfounded when God told him, He's going to be speaking in front of Pharaoh. I mean, he wasn't skilled with his words and he was terrified because of his lack of qualifications. But God, he wasn't hindered by his doubts or supposed lack of ability. Instead, he used Moses to free the entire, guys, the entire nation of Israel and led them to the promised land through him. That's nuts. And then just look at Paul, the man who actually murdered Christians. Before Paul became a Christian, he was a devout Jew who literally persecuted Christians for their beliefs, but he's also the same man who wrote most of the New Testament. So remember this, he uses the broken and the messy people of this world to share the gospel and to show his love to a hurting world. So what are some simple ways you can be more boldly proclaiming the gospel in your life? If you're not sure where to start, I'd say this. So number one, pray for opportunities and be led by the Holy Spirit. This one is a major factor that's so often missed in evangelism. We try to force situations, I know that I have in the past, and give people the track to salvation. But oftentimes, these acts are led by self-induced pressure to share the gospel. Like, oh, I have to share it to get on God's good side. But evangelism doesn't have to be stressful like that. It's simply about faithfully seeking opportunities for the Holy Spirit to just speak through us. So ask God to nudge your heart when you should say something or to point people out to you who need his love. And I remember one time, guys, I was in a crowded store parking lot and I was just praying throughout the day, really on fire for God. And I wanted to share the love of God with someone. And all of a sudden in a sea of people, one person looked like he was going in slow motion. It was really bizarre, but he just clearly stood out to me. So I walked up to him and asked him if he knew God. And he looked at me like I was crazy and I was getting pretty nervous. And then he started to speak and he said, 
you're the third person this month that randomly came up to me and asked me if I knew God. And I was blown away. And I tell that to so many people all the time, uh, that story, because God can really work when you let him be the strategist and you just sit back and be his loving representative and you go wherever he tells you to go. So another tip I have is straight up ask people questions about their beliefs. I mean, if you feel awkward presenting the gospel, just ask them, hey, what do you believe? Like, do you go to church on Sunday? What did you grow up believing? And if it's a coworker or high school friend or college acquaintance, just ask them. Be interested in them and their thoughts and their ideas and their opinions. And by doing this, you're opening up the conversation because they're going to likely ask you what you believe as well. And this is really just a natural way to openly discuss your faith. I've done it plenty of times when I've worked at an office or just throughout college. Guys, really embrace your faith-filled life. Don't try to be someone else or try to fit in to meet these social norms. Just keep this woman from the story in mind. The woman at the well broke every social norm by running into town and sharing the gospel. So live confidently in what you believe. This will lead people to ask questions simply because you're just standing out. So be bold. Maybe it's wearing a faith t-shirt, which is available on my website, by the way, or being unashamed to read your Bible in the middle of a coffee shop, or just standing out as kind and patient in the middle of a super stressful situation. Whatever it looks like, don't be afraid to stand out as different because that difference is what draws people to the presence of the Holy Spirit. So boldly live out that faith and don't try to fit in with the crowd. The story of the woman at the well is one I've held on to since I first got saved in 2012. We could really spend forever studying out all the intricate details and themes that we did not get into in this podcast, but hopefully this just sparked a desire for you to read and understand it more deeply yourself. And if you do have that desire, girl, do it. Grab a journal, your Bible, some highlighters, get to work and learn all you can from this amazing story because God can really reveal some life-changing truths when we choose to, you know, just dig a little deeper in scripture. When I look at this story, personally, I see myself, the girl that was born out of an affair, the girl who just wanted to fit in and be accepted, the, the girl who chased after boys because she did not have a dad, the one that everybody just wanted to fix. And then I think about my encounter with Christ. Everything, I mean, everything was different from that day on. And in some ways, I'm sure you can see yourself in her too, whether it's doubting or having anxiety or being bullied by others or being boy crazy. God thinks you are to die for so much so that he reroutes his entire trip and finds you because you are worth it to him. So sisters, spend time with God, get on your face with him and thank him for this incredible gift of salvation because he's chosen you. He's pursued you. He wants you. And that's something that we should never get used to.